Hi, I'm Lorna Nakel. I like to think of myself as a change agent in our patriarchal society. I'm a creative thinker always focused on legacy, on making positive contributions to society so I can leave the world a better place than when I entered it. Welcome to the I Am My Passion Project podcast, a feminist platform providing much needed conversations about the challenges of being a woman in our current society, as well as the possibilities for empowerment. Episodes include rich conversations about everything from life transitions, healing from betrayal trauma, how porn is destroying our intimacy and creating a culture of harm against women, and aging amazingly, to deep diving into American film classics and dissecting them through a feminist lens. Each season has a different theme, so grab a mug of Fight the Patriarchy Tea, available soon, haha, and settle down into your woman house to start scheming how you can be your own passion project, if you aren't already. I know it's been a while since season one, but I have some new fresh content for you. It's basically a bonus episode. So this bonus episode is coming out even before our season two launches. And this season, we actually have a theme. The theme is women redesigning the world as a better and safer place for women. The launch is planned for January 15th, so keep your eyes and ears open for that. In the meantime, this is my gift that goes out to all of the couples that are recovering from betrayal trauma. I know that the holidays can be a challenging time in general for, well, lots of different people, but it's especially challenging for couples that are recovering from the betrayals involved with sex and porn addiction. And so this is my gift to those couples. And I am very happy to be able to offer this to you because I wrangled into the studio with me Heidi Kinsella from Fourth Dimension Counseling. And we delve into what it's like dealing with the holidays days as a betrayed partner or a betraying partner and having to deal with extended family, deal with questions that might come to us, children that might be involved in the situation, and also the triggers that can happen, reminding us of the painful past. I offer this to you, to the couples that are in recovery, so you can hopefully get some tips and validation for what it is you're going through right now during the season. And to let you know that I'm thinking about you and I care about you and I am hoping that in spite of the hardships that you have overcome to get to where you are, that you can find some time to enjoy the company of each other and enjoy the season. So without further ado, let's hop into this episode. Heidi is the president and clinical director at Fourth Dimension Counseling and Coaching, a group practice in Washington state that serves Washington, Idaho, Alaska, Hawaii, Montana, Arizona, California, and New York. Heidi specializes in working with people who have been affected by sex addiction, infidelity, pornography, and substance abuse, including betrayal trauma. She works with individuals, couples, families, groups, and runs workshops and intensives at her ranch in Maple Valley, Washington, which includes equine-assisted therapy. 
She holds a national certification as a certified sex addiction therapist supervisor, a certified partner trauma therapist supervisor, and a certified multiple addictions therapist from the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, and is a licensed substance use disorder professional for the state of Washington. She also is a certified clinical partner specialist through the Association of Partners of Sex Addiction Trauma Specialists, otherwise known as APSATS. You can learn more about her extensive qualifications qualifications on her website at fourthdimensioncounseling.com. Heidi has been in recovery since 1989 and has a passion for helping others to heal from addictive behaviors. I met her at a trauma retreat she hosted at her house for fourth dimension counseling. It was a cathartic experience for me at a time when I was in the early stages of healing from betrayal trauma and still trying to figure out if I wanted to stay with or leave my husband. As anyone who has listened to my betrayal story from season one knows, I chose to stay with my husband, but the path has been bumpy. And one of the areas that is always triggering for me always is the holidays. So I've invited Heidi, an expert in the bumpy path of recovery, to talk about how couples can navigate the challenges of the holidays. Welcome to the show, Heidi. Thank you so much for having me. It's, I'm delighted to be here. So let's just jump into this. And I'm hoping that you can talk to the listeners about what you generally see that comes up for folks around the holidays as, as challenges. You know, I think the holidays are hard for just like humans in general, because we're, you know, you're, people are coming together oftentimes with people in their family of origin and um, extended family members. And I, I think it can be difficult just for people in general. And then if you add betrayal trauma on top of it and you add addiction on top of it, um, it, it brings a host of other issues. Um, one of the ones I hear the most is that, you know, people use discernment in who, who they're going to, who they tell the story to. Um, you you got to make sure that, you know, you're, you're picking safe people who, who've earned the right to know that type of information about you. Um, and so when you come together with your family of origin, oftentimes not everybody who who would be at the holidays would know. And so then it feels like you're kind of faking it. And and that could be really triggering for partners. And perhaps a partner is is wishing that, you know, the, the person who did the betraying has been more upfront with what he's done or how he's hurt her and he he hasn't gotten there yet or um, there's some conflict around that and now she feels like she's holding his secret. So he lived the secret life before and now she's had discovery. Now she has a secret life and it really comes to bear during the holidays. Um, other issues I see around the holidays is um, triggering events being around people who may be triggering, um, being around um, having a lot of alcohol, which can lower people's inhibitions, which means they're, they may be um, doing behaviors that are inappropriate for people in recovery, like flirting or talking in inappropriate ways. I mean, I, I remember um, one Thanksgiving um, with my ex-husband, um, who was in recovery at the time, you know, I'm putting in quotes because he actually turned out that he wasn't, but I thought he was in recovery at the time. His mom was trying to call him to dinner and he was fixated on Shania Twain on the TV. Like he was in a trance at Thanksgiving with all the family around just staring at the TV. And I just remember I was so triggered by it, first of all, because he was, because I was triggered by it. And second of all, it was so disrespectful that it was happening in front of 
the rest of the family. And I think that's just such a great example of what can happen during the holidays. Yeah, I think that that's a good point that you bring up about the um, the story that the betrayed partner and the person who does the betraying, they have their story and who who gets to talk about the story. You know, I've talked about that in different uh couples coaching sessions and it's it can be challenging to figure out who is safe and who isn't safe and then for me like one of the thing one of the issues that I have had in the recovery process is feeling like my husband is not truthful in his addiction to people that I think should know about it and feeling like he is getting away with something basically like these people that are friends of ours or people he works with that they, they don't know what I know. They don't know the harms that he's done to me or done to other people. And, um, it seems oftentimes unfair and unjust. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I see that a lot. And then, you know, to go to a Christmas party, with these people who are going, oh my gosh, your husband's just the best. You're so lucky, you know, and you're like, oh, you're sitting there just feeling all this, like, he's a liar. He's fake. You don't know him. Like, if you only knew, yeah. I'd have to just yeah. sit through, you know, party after party, dinner after dinner, you know? And and it's, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and and the question of who to tell, like, that's a really valid question. And I guess what I'll, what I'll say about that is, is that I, I, I think I think you need to use some discernment because um, everybody has an opinion and they'll share their opinion. And and if you decide to stay and then people know and then they're trying to tell you you should leave because they don't understand the nuances of addiction recovery, then you're in a position where you're defending this person that hurt you because you're choosing to stay. And so there's this weird thing between like wanting people to know so you're not holding a secret, but also not putting yourself in a position where you're having to defend your decision to stay. It's it's this weird, weird dance. But I also want to just remind you, it's also your story. Right. So I do understand that we want to hold the anonymity of people who are in recovery, and th- which means we're not going to go shout it from the rooftops. But at the same time, it's also your story. And you need to be able to speak your story to the people you need to speak your story to. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we basically established that early on in our recovery process when I said, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) Good for you. So you're speaking your story. I'm going to talk about being betrayed. You betraying me. I'm also going to write a book about it and and some articles. And um, because it's my story now, like you, you had Mm -hmm. this as a secret for 20 plus years and now I know about it and unfortunately it's my story now too and I have to share it I have to shout it from the mountaintops and hope that I can help other people that are going through the same trauma and make them not feel like it's so such a stigmatizing situation where they have to feel Mm -hmm. shame and hurt all the time and just carry that stuff around with them I completely agree with you. And I, and I also shout it from the rooftops as well. Um, you know, and I don't know my, you know, what the pe- the people who've betrayed me feel about that, but you know, they need to deal with their own discomfort. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? I do know. 
Yeah. Um, so as a betrayed partner yourself, what are some things that you have uh, had a hard time dealing with during the holidays? You know, I, I would say um, a part of it is like, because um, I, I, well, my first husband left me for another woman who he married. And so she stayed in her life and she's still, she's still an affair partner. I mean, in her life all these years later. And then I waited a really long time and I married again and I married a guy who was, um, was a sex addict. So I, I, I went through that twice and for a long time in between, I was single and I was a single mom. So part of the pain of the holidays was, you know, like I lost my family because of this betrayal. And then I lost this family and this affair partner is now my daughter's stepmom. And she was going to see her during the holidays. And so there was just a lot of pain around the holidays. Um, and then I have, you know, I have siblings who brothers who are, you know, probably sex addicts. I'll just say that. And so they're, you know, they were, I don't, I don't, I don't celebrate the holidays with them anymore, but you know, they were like, they'd make sexual comments and they would flirt with, you know, it, it, either to me or to my daughter or to other women around. And so I was super triggered by just my family of origin. So the holidays were just really, um, when it, you know, cause I was only 23 when all this went down, I was still really young. It was just, it was painful. It was hard. Wow. Yeah. That sounds very complicated. Mm -hmm. So what can potential triggers look like for the betrayer and the betrayed? And what are some tips for preparing for them? And, and can you actually do some preparation? You know, I mean, you, you, you mentioned before we started the self-care sandwich. I've never heard that phrase before. I, I love that. Yeah. I like doing <laughs> self-care prior and then after. Um, you know, one of the things that I do when I've done this, I've done this probably since I, this went down when I was young. Um, I always make sure I have my own car. This is it's such a practical thing, but if mm. something's happening where I feel like I need to leave, I don't want to be relying on someone else for me to be able to leave a situation that doesn't feel safe. So I always make sure that I have a way out. And even if I drive with my husband or whatever, like if, if I need to leave, I'm going to go. So either he's coming with me or or he can get an Uber home. But I'm not like I don't I don't leave myself. I, I never I never put myself in a position where I'm relying on um, people that I don't trust to drive me. So that that's just a practical thing I've done for a very, very long time. Yeah. But as you go into a situation like that, if you're if you're your partner's in recovery, which is different than if they're not, right? So if they're in recovery is, to, you know, to have some conversations beforehand around, like if somebody's, in, you know, if somebody's drinking um, and then they're being a little too friendly, let's say a woman is drinking and she's being a little too friendly with your husband, which would be extremely triggering mm -hmm. for him to go into it, you know, knowing like if something like that happens, he's going to, you know, he's going to hold a hard boundary He's going to grab your hand and, and acknowledge you or look at you, acknowledge you. And then he's going to, you know, then you guys are going to, he's going to move away. But to, to have like some understanding that you're going to be his priority, um, because you don't know what's going to happen in a situation where people are drinking. I'm not even talking about alcoholism. I'm just talking about the, ho the holidays and having some alcohol on board. Cause right. Just general people. I mean, I, I've been to many holiday parties where my friends are just like, in my face and they're overly talking and they're flirting and they're just doing the thing. Right. Yeah. And as a betrayed partner, um, I remember in the early years that I found that extremely triggering. I mean, I, I found it triggering to watch, even if I wasn't there with a guy, just watching women do that to other women, other women, other mm. women's husbands. Like if I just witnessed that, I found that to be triggering. Like mm. I did not like that, you know? So like if I was with a guy and the guy, somebody was doing that, I would expect him to, 
hold the boundary and to acknowledge that this was uncomfortable. I'm so sorry. You know, like, I know I've done this to you. I've, I've hurt you in the past. You're important to me and, and to get you guys out of the situation. But I would just say, generally speaking, um, when a couple is in recovery, if there's something that comes up as a trigger, it's important that he acknowledges it. Like, no, not here's what, here's what the guys I, I work with do. They're like, I don't want to say anything because maybe she didn't notice. And if I bring it up, it'll trigger her. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> she notices. And if you don't bring it up, then it feels like you're not aware of it, which makes her feel less safe. So if you acknowledge it, like, oh my gosh, that woman totally just hit on me. I am like, that must've been so triggering for you. I'm sorry I put you through that in the past. I know I've hurt you in the past. And I want you to know that I'm here for you, right? To just acknowledge it. Or if, if there's not a situation where you can actually talk then to just grab her hand and squeeze it. Just, you know, just to let her know, like, I noticed that and I'm here for you. Rather than just like pretending like it didn't happen. Um, I, I would say most partners are very, very aware of all the stuff around them. And having their guy acknowledge it is so much more important than let's just pretend like right. it didn't happen and hope she didn't notice. Because I don't want to trigger her by bringing it up. Yeah, I mean, that's been my experience too, because I have an intuition and I can sense when my husband is acting weird. So if he is triggered by somebody and we're out in the world um, or a situation, he has some tells that I notice. And so if he doesn't talk to me about it, I'm left feeling gaslit in that situation. And then I feel like it's on me mm -hmm. to be the, the mother, to be the one to bring it up afterwards and be like, Hey, did you see that woman there with the crop top that was like, you know, obviously like bending over, looking for attention and like, I'm full, full on triggered. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, she was like right in front of you. So, you know, what's going on there. So we've had conversations about how, if we're going to an event that we know might be triggering, that we have a safe word. Good. That's good. So that's been a strategy that we've had. But mostly it's just like, if he is overwhelmed, and sometimes it sounds for him, it's a loud environment, there's music there. Um, it's there are a lot of people, those are kind of triggering things that make him feel anxious. And the anxiety is something that makes him, you know, potentially, you know, mm -hmm. kind of leads him to those, those circles that like, he oh might be getting mm -hmm. into the yellow zone because he's just overstimulated. And so like him knowing that is really important, like the things that can trigger him in situations. And then when he is triggered, letting me know, oh, I see that person mm -hmm. there. I don't want to look at her. And so I'm going to step out. And so we've had conversations about one or both of us needing to actually leave the whatever environment we're in because what you know we're triggered and then for me I mm -hmm. always go back to the AVR I'm like if I'm triggered I really expect you to be there for me like you have to full on mm -hmm. acknowledge validate reassure yep. every time like no matter what it is that's what I'm expecting for from him. That's good. And that's what you should, should expect from him, you know, and he should be able to do that. I, I wholeheartedly support that.
So let's get into that a little bit more. I think that there's more there. So can you share some strategies that betraying partners can use to comfort their wives when triggers come up for them? So you just named a a huge one that I I teach, which is the ABR, Acknowledge, Validate, Reassure. Um, And guys will tell me that um, that they they get really, I mean, I see it. I mean, I I, I witness it. they get really angry if they're being accused of something they didn't do. So, you know, like, let's say you get triggered because he's, you know, looking, he's looking forward. There's a woman with a crop top. That's a great example. And he's looking at something past her. and He's literally didn't see her, but he's looking in that direction. And you see him, you see the, the woman, with the crop top, and you see him looking his eyes in that direction. So you get triggered. And, you know, rather than, you know, you're saying you may even say like, I can't believe you're looking at this woman. Like, like you're triggered, right? So you're full on triggered. And what some guys will do, which is, which is a mistake is to say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I didn't look at a woman in the, in the crop, the crop top. Why are you accusing me of something I didn't do? Like that's completely going into defense mode. And what I, what I train guys to do is it, it doesn't matter if you're looking at the woman in the crop top. That's not the issue. The issue is, is that you used to do that all the time. And of course, she's triggered by that. Because how many years did you do that? How many thousands of times have you done that? So it's not about whether you've done it this time. It's about the fact you've done it so much. And of course, she's going to be triggered. So for you to to acknowledge, like, of course, it makes sense. I mean, like, acknowledge the triggering. You're being triggered by this woman because I've done it to you so many times. And it makes sense that you would that you would be triggered. 100%. And, you know, so acknowledging and validating and then and then, I mean, we usually what I tell them to do is to let let your nervous system calm down before you go into the reassure. Because what guys will do is they'll they'll want to go into reassure first. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm sober, which sounds defensive. So they got to acknowledge first, acknowledge the fact they've done this, validate it makes sense you feel that way, let you calm down a little bit, and then say, "Do you want to know what I was looking at?" Like ask the question to see to get consent for the for the for the answer. And if if she says, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. What were you looking at? Believe it or not, I was actually looking at so and so behind or what, whatever it was, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying don't say what you're actually looking at, but it's really important to acknowledge her trigger first and validate that she's not crazy. She's this isn't happening in a vacuum, and and a lot of times what they'll say is, "Why are you ruining our night?" I'm not ruining our night, honey. <laughs> You know, you've done this to me thousands of times and there's legitimately a woman standing there with half a shirt on, you know? So like, you know, but the the tool for the guy is to use the ABR. The tool for the woman is when she's getting flooded, no matter what he's doing, because you you can't completely rely on him to take care of you because he may not, right? So you're getting flooded. Like, like know that this, like follow your instinct. You know, you know, when your husband's acting weird, and if if he's he can't hold space and he can, and he's getting defensive for you to say, like, I actually I need to step out like I can't I this isn't healthy for me. And for you to remove yourself from the situation and do some breathing or make a phone call. I mean, to not um, not allow the gaslighting to to escalate into you kind of losing your mind. Cause I've done that. Like I've escalated and gotten loud and made a fool of myself in public because I'm being gaslit and I don't, I can't contain my, my reactivity. I've been that person. Right. Um, and so it's, you know, ideally he will do what he needs to do to, to, to 
to do the ADR or to grab your hand and squeeze it if you guys aren't in a position where you can actually talk, right? Just squeezing your hand and being there for you and then doing the ADR when you can is also an effective strategy. But if he's not doing that, it's still like our job as betrayed partners to take care of ourselves because sometimes they can't do it for us. So sometimes it's a matter of us stepping aside, us doing the breathing, us making a phone call, maybe saying, hey, I need to go home. Like you either need to, you know, we either need to drive home together or you can get your way home. But I'm, I'm, you know, I, I can't stay here right now. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And um, the, the defensiveness is something that I haven't really come across that much because I feel like early on, my husband started doing work with an integrity abuse sheet that listed many different integrity abuses that apart from the sexual aspect of the sex and porn addiction, there are, uh, you know, a myriad other abuses that come along with that. There's like the lying, the gaslighting, there's yelling potentially um, and defensiveness. And so at the end of the day, we actually, well, he has a she, and he actually goes over those things for the day, for every day. So if, for example, we were at an event and I was triggered and he got defensive somehow, he would have to acknowledge the fact that he was, he, he got defensive and then actually do, do his own work around why he got defensive. And so think about it and journal about it and then talk to me the next day or whenever we have planned. Sometimes it's on Sundays because that's our check-in day and read me what, what was going on with him then, you know, why he thinks that he was defensive, what, you know, what that was about. Was it his being, him being selfish in the moment because he was having a good time, things like that. Like what was coming up for him to act that way? That's fantastic. What a great tool. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I I appreciate him using that. And I don't remember where he got that from, but um, it's been really helpful for us. We talked about family and extended family. And so how can couples handle inquisitive family and friends during the holidays? And how much can and should they divulge about the recovery and we talked a little bit about, you know, it's whose story it is to tell, but what, what does safety look like for sharing your story? What is, you know, with friends or family, what, what makes a safe person? Well, I mean, that's such a, that's such a great question because it it is, it depends on who the person is, right? Like, um, so, you know, what makes a safe person is someone who's going to um, hold space for your pain you know, like, you know, like, like not judge you or start telling you what you're supposed to do. You should leave or he's an asshole or whatever it is. A safe person is someone who's going to hear you and support you and love you. Um, whether you decide to stay or go, who are going to encourage him in his recovery, um, who aren't people who are not going to enable his recovery, like a safe person, a person who is not safe is someone who asks your husband to go to a strip club. That would not be a safe person, right? Um, so like a safe person is someone who actually has respect for his recovery, like who's gonna, they're not gonna like send him porn stuff via text, which I see happens out there, right? Like those are not safe people, right? So safe people are gonna be people who are gonna respect his recovery and 
and respect your your recovery and your choice to stay or to go um and people who are not going to judge you um so i mean it, i i hate to say this but i think it's a relatively small at least in my family of origin it's a relatively small list because a lot of people just don't get it you know and and people joke about it I don't know if you've experienced that, but people joke, joke about it. And so those people would not be safe. So there is this element of having to like fake it if you're around people who aren't safe. Oh, yeah. Because you don't want to go tell Mm -hmm. people who are then going to use it as a weapon against you, you know, just because you're trying to be transparent and honest, because then you're giving people weapons to hurt you. So and and that's why, like I say, like tell people who've who've earned the right to know this this information about you. Like not everybody has earned that right. Now you could talk about it in a general way to the to the public, which is what we're doing now. But the, there's, I make up, there's some um, specifics that you probably only share with safer people. You don't go into the de- details publicly. Yeah. So I had more friends before this happened and ended up losing friends because they, like you we're talking about we're not able to hold my pain in this area and um that was sad for me to lose them but also knowing that the friends that I have right now are amazing just there for me I can call them up if I have something that I'm going through um they're supportive I mean they actually have a couple of them have in the early stages told me that I should leave him, leave my husband, but they're friends with him too. Mm -hmm. And so they've actually had conversations where they, they, you know, admit to him that they've said that. So we all, everyone's in the know of what's going on, Mm -hmm. but they're just being protective of me. And uh, I think he understands that protective quality in them. Um, But also family members, they're gone. They're just, they, um, part of, part of them were people trying, I'm trying not to be specific, (laughs) but there were two people that, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. were in the class of, oh, boys will be boys. And, you know, it's just porn without knowing the whole Mm -hmm. story. Also because he, they're not safe people for him. So he didn't share with them all of the details around the betrayal um but just hearing that from them and feeling judged and like i'm just being foolish i'm just because because the choice you know in our society is women are prudes or they're you know sluts so um i'm just being prudish and i should just get over myself and and move on and like the marriage is everything that's important and that's the most important thing is to like hold on to the the marriage and I'm like fuck that noise (laughs) I don't need to give you any of my time or energy anymore Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah when is it okay though is the question like when is it okay do you think to say goodbye to people and and how do you address the pain in that? And how, how, how do you even say goodbye when you need to? You know, I, I've had to do that a lot in my life. Um, family members. Um, um, 
and friends, but, you know, family members are the hardest ones because we're taught as, at least I was taught in my family of origin that family is everything, blood is thicker than water, all those things where to walk away from a family member is like the worst thing you could possibly do. And in fact, I, I have had to walk away from some family members because of mm-hmm. verbal abuse, emotional abuse, inappropriate comments, inappropriate <laughs> hitting on daughters. I mean, different things like that. And, and I, I have done it, you know, by setting boundaries. It's like, I love you. I want you in my life, but this behavior is unacceptable. Like I can't like, I, you know, like I want to have you in my life, but I, this, this behavior, I I can't tolerate. So if you're going to do this behavior, then therefore I will not have contact with you. And then the continue, the baby behavior continues and I just don't have contact. Um, so, you know, um, and then there's other family members where I just kind of drifted away. Where yeah. I just like made the decision, like I, I didn't even want to put out the energy to to have that conversation because they were they were just toxic, and it, it's like I don't I don't um I didn't I didn't choose to be related to those people. Right. So here's here's another tough question: is um many of the women who are going through betrayal. So I I have an adult child, so he's 19, he's in college right now, but I know many other women who are still mothers of young kids and you know when the holidays come up they're there with their kids they're having to spend time with their siblings who also have kids so we're talking like cousins and step cousins and friends that are kids and all of that like how do you navigate talking to your kids and also like when do you know who else needs to know? Like, how do you, how do you handle that? Well, I mean, I, I it, it, and it, I, th- I think some of it depends on what the behavior was. Um, as far as like, what do you tell your own kids? Like I, I tell parents, it's like, that's a super personal decision. So I don't usually tell parents what to do particularly, but I will say that kids generally will know, they know more than they think they know. Kids are super smart. They pick up on things. Um, they make up stuff. So they'll often like imagine things are worse than they are. Um, so, you know, we usually advise people tell kids what's what's developmentally appropriate for the youngest of the siblings because they'll talk amongst themselves. So, you know, the 18 year old or the 16 year old might understand more than like a seven year old would. Um, but you would want to keep it at the level of the seven year old. Um, because you don't want the seven-year-old hearing information that's developmentally inappropriate. And, you know, so if it's younger, it could be as simple as, you know, daddy hurt mommy um, and um, or daddy hurt mommy's heart or, um, you know, and we, you know, let's say you're doing a, you may be doing a therapeutic separation. We're doing like, like an adult timeout because, you know, he, you know, he hurt her feelings or he hurt her heart. Um, if they're older, you could say, you know, like there's a been a breach of trust. Um, I've had couples even tell them that, you know, that he had an affair or he's addicted to pornography, you know, so depending on the age, the, 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 the older they are, the more, the more you can say that's developmentally appropriate. Um, I do think because mm-hmm. it, because addiction has a genetic component to it, that if there's an addiction on board, but letting kids know right. there's an addiction in the family is important because it, it, it is something that may affect them. Um, I also think that kids pick up on energy. So like, um, you know, if dad is checking out women and, and, you know, Billy and Susie are around, then Susie's going to think that men are supposed to check out women 
And Billy's going to think that's what boys do or men do, right? So you're teaching mm-hmm. your girls to be attracted to men like this because you're attracted to what's familiar and you're teaching boys to act this way. And so, it, you know, it's important to like, to be able to say like, this behavior wasn't okay. I hurt mom and this behavior isn't okay. Um, to, to, so that way they don't, mo- you're not, mo- they're not modeling it. They're not doing the behavior that you don't want your kids to grow up right. to be, you know, to, to live this, this experience. As far as like what to tell other kids, um, like if there's if there was abuse and there's a safety issue, mm-hmm. that's a to- totally different conversation, you know. So it's like if if there is like um, you know, that there was some sort of sexual abuse, which isn't mm-hmm. all sex addicts don't have this, but some do. Just say that. Um, then it, you know, then other kids who may be exposed there may be a different level of needing to say stuff to other kids, but I, you know, I don't know if the cousins in the family would necessarily need mm-hmm. to know. I think that would be up to the, their parents of whether yeah. or not they want their kids to know about this. You know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go tell nieces and nephews. My grandson just this weekend came up to me and said, um, grandma, how come you never go over to grandpa and Nana's house? Well, Nana was the affair partner. Like, why don't you ever, why don't, why don't you go over there for Thanksgiving? That was the question. He's seven. Why don't you go to Grandpa Nana's mm-hmm. house for Thanksgiving? And my ex-husband, when my daughter was about that age, when she asked why we're divorced, he said, it's because I loved this other person more than your mom. That was his answer when she was like seven. So she she grew up knowing this, but I I, I don't know what my daughter wanted my mm-hmm. grandson to know. Like, I don't, I don't want to like pass this betrayal trauma pain down to my grandson, right? So my answer was, is I really think you need to talk to your mom and let her, let her tell you this story. Right. Um, and he's like, why? And I said, it's just a little complicated. He goes, what makes it complicated? Like he was put pressing in and I'm like, you know, it, it, that's why I want your mom to tell you. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is because it, it, it felt like that was the job of the parent to decide rather than the job, my job. Like, even though I was his grandma and I'm the one that was affected by it, I wanted to defer to his parents to decide whether to say, I don't know whether or not she wants him to know about the betrayal. Maybe she does. I don't know. Um, I mean, of course, I would, I would love that. <laughs> I mean, it's been a long time, but the fact that my grandkids call it a fair partner, Nana, is you know, it it's not, it's not the best thing in the world. I'll say that, you know. So, so I don't know how to answer that question without having an edge to my voice, you know. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. <laughs> I can understand that edge. So for me, uh, triggers around the holidays are focused on ornaments and I talked to you about this the other day how there's this emotional attachment to ornaments for me and it's a traditional thing it's something that was started by my mom and handed down to me I was an only child and she was an only child so she would give me an ornament for Christmas every year and I collected those and they're very sentimental to me they mean a lot Um, one of my favorite ones was this cute little metal tricycle red tricycle that actually like the wheels turned on it and stuff and that's I just loved it so and a lot of them she would put dates on so I would know when I got them uh and it's I loved this uh tradition so I started it with my son too and we we would do that in our family he would get ornaments every year And then sometimes he would get them from his friends and from nannies and from other people. And, you know, we decorate the tree every year. All the traditional stuff, which I'm not particularly religious, but I loved that tradition. 
having the tree, getting it after Thanksgiving and all that stuff. So um, when the betrayal happened and I learned that throughout my whole marriage and even before my husband had been acting out um, with porn and also with um, other women in different types of situations, um, the ornaments became an issue for me because of the dates, because they all had dates associated with them. So I could go, oh yeah, 2009, that's when you, because I had the formal disclosure that listed all of the betrayals that he did to me, I could look like connect the dots and be like, oh, that's when you were doing this. Oh, you know, 2011, that's when you were doing this and Calder was this age. And it was like, oh my God, I do not need every year to be reminded of those dates. And some of the ornaments that we had were associated with particular people that were part of the acting out situation. And so I cannot, I cannot crack that open. Because there's poop on everything, Mm. even my childhood ornaments, right? So I can't even like open it up to pick out the ones that were just mine from when I was a kid because I I don't want to go there. So um, that's not part of my Christmas anymore. Like I had to just shove it away. And it's really sad. And I'm not saying it's forever because I'm only out a year and a half from my D-Day. So it might not be forever. I'm keeping them, even if they're not going to be for me, they'll be for my son one day so he can have those. And because he doesn't have the same connections that I do. Um, but that's that's been the hardest part for me. I hear a lot of clients talk about like, um, they do the same thing, not with the ornaments, but like with trips. So like mm-hmm. this trip to Hawaii or that trip to Mexico or this cruise or whatever, uh, this birthday, that anniversary, you're doing this, that, and the other. And, yeah. and places become contaminated. So they can't go back to Hawaii. They can't go back on a cruise. But to have it affect your 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 Christmas celebration in such an intimate way, like I find that heartbreaking. Like that feels, because my ornaments are yeah. really important to me. I may have got some from my mom that has passed away. If I couldn't put those up because of it, because of my husband's acting out, that would be, I mean, I, I, that would be a resentment. It would be hard to get over. Like I, I make up that, that is, that's been a, probably a hard one for you. Yeah, it definitely has been. And you know, when we talked the other day too, you were saying that photos were a problem for you because they brought back memories. And so that was the same, mm-hmm. the same for me too. And it's, yeah, it's easy to be resentful of your partner even if you stay if you decide to stay together stay with intent as they say it's there are still challenges like that where you have to set aside just the pain of of the memories to look at the present to try and be in the present with the person who um is in recovery and i have to say that um here's like a was a major takeaway for me from when I was at your trauma retreat. So you were talking one day about the the men who are in recovery and somebody brought up relapses and you said there doesn't there doesn't have to be relapses. That is a choice because when the men are in healthy recovery even when they just start out in recovery 
and they have given up doing the porn and the acting out and they've seen they know the things right they're not they're not stupid they know the things that they were doing once they know that they and they have stopped doing those things it's their choice it's their choice to go back to that behavior and i told my husband that i told him like i just learned that it's your choice so and because i have this long list of boundaries that at the top of my list of boundaries is if you make the choice to ever go down that rabbit hole again, I'm gone. Like I am just done. So just to clarify the piece and, and um, I'm just looking at the time. We got about five minutes left. The piece that's the choice. Cause it is, I, I, and, you, and I'm sure you got a big reaction on me because I wholeheartedly believe that relapse does not have to be part of people's stories. Wholeheartedly believe that. And the choice piece is, is they have a choice to do the recovery behaviors. So once they learn their recovery behaviors, once they learn all the things they need to do to stay sober, they have a choice to do those behaviors or not. Once the addiction grabs them, once they don't do those behaviors and they go back into the addiction, it's no longer a choice. So the nature of addiction is that, you know, once you're in cycle and you're powerless over it, you don't have a choice. There's a, there's a, there's a, place in there where they lose the choice. But the choice is, is once they're actually sober and they've established sobriety, they have a choice to do, to choose those, those sobriety behaviors or not. And if they choose not to, then they relapse. It's because they chose not to do those behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can understand that. I mean, it, it's a nuance because I wouldn't say addiction is a choice, but, adi- but recovery behaviors are a choice. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's the thing about one day at a time, right? He makes a choice every single day. Absolutely. And, and yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And, and he can, he can choose to stay in recovery every single day. And I have a lot of people who don't relapse and it's not because of me. It's because I, I, I believe that a lot of times in S meetings, there's a lot of relapsing and there's this kind of this culture that relapse is part of recovery and that gives that gives people the yeah weird permission it's like a cultural thing that relapsing is normal and i'm like yeah no 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 let's not have relapse be part of your story it doesn't have to be so let's talk about new traditions like uh how can we make the holidays better what can the partners do to really comfort each other and support each other during the holidays and and what can new traditions look like yeah, you know, I, you know, so I've been in recovery for a long time and I do recovery stuff on you know, around the holiday. So I'll go to a meeting, you know, you, you, sometimes on a holiday or the day before or after um, I reach out to my recovery friends to make sure I have support during the holidays. Um, but to even with your husband, like you guys aren't doing the, um, the ornaments, but what can you do to actually create a new tradition for your coupleship or for your family? So it may be Maybe it's picking out a tree. Maybe you used to have a fake tree. Now you're going to go get a tree every year. Maybe it's, you know, maybe that um, you're going to go, um, you know, go look at Christmas lights in a certain way. I mean, there's many different things people can do. Um, Maybe it's taking a trip, Um, but to create traditions that are fresh and new and part of recovery. Yeah, I like that. So for example, we moved to Tucson from Portland and instead of getting a tree, we have a cactus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we've got we have a metal a metal cactus that we're gonna put our ornaments on that's amazing i love that 
that's our solution. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that. And part of, you know, some of my new traditions is I don't spend my holidays with toxic people anymore. Exactly. That's helpful too. You know, I don't, I don't make myself be with people just because, because, you know, they're my family of origin. I don't make myself do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a treat for you. And that's, uh, creating your own safety mm-hmm. and boundaries. So where can folks find you if they want to attend one of your upcoming retreats or see you as an individual or a couples coach therapist? Um, our website is fourth dimension counseling.com. There's a lot of information on there as far as all the different things we offer. Um, my email is Heidi at fourth dimension counseling.com. It's, it's all spelled out F O U R T H D I M E N S I O N counseling all spelled out. Um, <laughs> and then our phone number is four, two, five, six, five, two, one, six, nine, zero. And, um, and we will be, I, I think I told you this, we're kind of recalibrating some of our intensives. Uh, in the past, we didn't have a place for women to stay. And so we're changing that up. So we're going to offer that, we're going to offer intensives where women can actually come and stay. And, and that should be coming out in this probably late spring. And then we're going to be doing some like workshops for couples and stuff that's coming out as well. Oh, that's great. So um, we will all be looking forward to that. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast episode. And we're going to be putting this out as a bonus for season two because it's the holidays and uh, all of the women who are in betrayal, trauma, recovery need to get our energy up and support each other. And this is the the way that I could think of to, to help you all. So thanks again for coming. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. And I hope you, I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Yes, you too. (laughs) With your new tradition of your, of your tree. I love that. (laughs) And you too, without your toxic people around you. Uh, I appreciate that. All right. See you later. Okay, Take care. Bye, Heidi. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Am My Passion Project. New episodes drop every Friday. If you enjoyed this content, please consider sharing with a friend or two or more or leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I hope you're able to move through your week, speaking your own truth and embracing your badass self. I am my passion project